Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift, the Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. Ah, hmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. If you want to listen to this episode or any of our episodes ad-free, you can do that now. Head on over to Patreon. Click on the ad-free level. You get all of our bonus shows that you've been hearing so much about. Plus, every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, you can listen to this episode or any of our other episodes at the same time, ad-free, over on Patreon. everyone this is david welcome back behind the velvet rope let's just get right into it today because we are joined by the one the only jacqueline visit hello how are you i'm good thank you how are I, you good i mean what are you up to today you know you have a new film that has come out lauren and rose i have to say i watched it this morning i figured i would skim it over because i knew we were sitting down i could not stop watching it. I watched all of it. It was great. It was brilliant. I loved it. Well, I'm glad. I love this film myself. I'm just really, it's just one of my favorites that I've done. What, I mean, how did this film come to you and how did the part of Rose come to you? Um, well, I did a film about in 2000, around 2000 with a man called Christopher Runt. Christopher Munch, who's a very good director, and he, Russell Brown, who wrote this, is, is a friend of his, and I met Russell socially at some time between then and now, and got to know him a little bit. And then one day I was having dinner with Chris Munch and Russell, and I'm talking about being some of the funny things that happened to me in my life, complaining a bit, whining a bit, <laughs> you know, just having an evening. And I think, I, and Russell got the idea that I'd be good for this part and, um, and sent me the script. And um, from, from then we went through the various things that you do to get to the, to the completion of making a film, casting it. And, and uh, it's been a very interesting uh, journey. Russell is a wonderful director and an extraordinary writer. And... Um, I felt very safe with him, partly because I'd worked with Chris Munch and I really adore Chris Munch also. And I did a really good film with him called The Sleepy Time Gal. I was just so proud of these two films. What is it about the part of Rose that drew you in? Well, it's very well written and it gives me an opportunity, gave me an opportunity to take, to explore all this life. And I liked that she was a bit of a dingbat in the early part of her life. And... I needed to find enough in the latter part to be able to bring her to life. Obviously, I couldn't play the young part as well. Um, would love to have played the young part when she was gets, got this bad reputation for being a bit of a, a number. She was always considered to be a good actress, but she had a, a there was a something that was something characteristics that got in her way, and her career had gone down, and um, she was looking for a great art so you know i'm i don't know what draws you in i I read it i wanted to be in the scenes i wanted to say the words i liked the fact that it was a very strong relationship with the men i didn't know who it would be in the beginning and then i 
did read with um, Kelly Blatt's. We read, I read two or three, with two or three actors, and Russell felt that um, Kelly was the right person for the film. And then we met at, at Russell's house, and I watched Kelly, watched him with with Russell's two cats, and I, I learned so much about him just watching him. And I felt he had a very beautiful heart and spirit and kind and uh, was kind and and I felt him I felt like he needed affection and the, the cats so I just saw something really beautiful that he had showed his emotion towards the cats and I saw something in him a lot and I thought it's going to be good this film is going to work I'm going to I have empathy for him and I, I like him wow when you read a script, like at this point, you know, you've been doing this for a while, you know, can you tell, like when you read a script, like, can you say this one's a hit? Like, do you have that? I've never understood. No, I like, it. I can say, I like it. I want to do it. That's all I can do. Or I don't want to touch it. Or I just think it's awful or it's whatever. But I know, I know when I want to say the words, I get, it's a compulsion. It's like, you, you ever, do you ever buy, see a picture and you want to buy the picture? You want to own that picture? What it gives you something, and I get I get something from, from the story, or like, or I relate to it personally, or I just think it's fantastically different, or and I'd love to play that other side of life, or whatever it is. Well, it is in theaters on June twenty third. It's getting a lot of acclaim at a lot of the film festivals. Like, how was this different than all the movies that you have made in the past? Like, what was special about Lauren and Rose. Well, what's special about it was how close we got, Russell and Kelly and I, and and um, we sort of moved us. Sometimes we went to some of these festivals, three of us, and just felt very safe and close and appreciated. And um, that's enough to make me feel good. <laughs> it doesn't take a lot more than that. You go with your gut, right? I do. When I you. Well, that's, I mean, a good thing to go with. Like, just like you said, like a picture or a piece of art, right? Yes. When you think back to, you know, the beginning of your career, like The Affair, The Detective, Airport, like some of your earlier films, like, do you have like vivid memories of that, you know, when you first started out in the business or does that really just seem like another lifetime? No, I, I'm pretty vivid. It's pretty vivid. I was just talking today about working with Roman Polanski, which was one of my first speaking parts tiny tiny part but very much i remember everything and and we're meeting sinatra of course was an enormous thing he was such a star i mean on so many levels just, just his 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 reality his his image his notoriety all of it just finally it was just a man on standing on the beach and handing me a cup of coffee would you like a sip and i like i'm frank sinatra i mean whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, what is that? A just bizarre, incredible moment. Yes, that's, I would. Thank you so much. That's like a surreal moment. Yeah. Do you remember, like, what is your defining moment in your career of, like, you know, that you kind of went from, you know, being maybe not in the public eye? Like, what was your first kind of relationship to fame when you were like, was it at an airport, you know, walking down the street when you were like, whoa, like people know who I am. Cause that's always an interesting thing. I think, you know, cause you're well, doing the work, but now people know who you are. Well, I don't remember that when that first happened, but I know that when I did the detective, there was so much publicity about M Mia Farrow, who was married to Sinatra at the time, not being able to leave the Polanski movie she was doing to join the film, which she was protected. And I got the part. I was, didn't, didn't know about the film. I didn't know anything about it. And I was under contract to Fox and I, studios and I they called me and said they wanted me to do it and I'm like why what who who's in it and Sinatra I couldn't believe it and, it used, and I had to get ready in within about nine days and we had to do the hair and the makeup and get it organized and they wanted me to look like Mia Farrow a little bit so I had a very short wig made and it had to be perfect because they said if it's not perfect he'll get upset there was a lot of pressure and then I did the film and it went well and I went back to London for Christmas and when I went back to London, there was a lot of press. Suddenly it was like, she replaced me a pharaoh, da di da di da and all the gossip and all that stuff. And I thought, hmm, 
well, this is quite fun for a day or two, but it's not fun to have no time left to do anything else. And I said, I wonder if, if this is like, is this what it is like to be famous? <laughs> and thank goodness it wasn't. I mean, it could be, it could have been if I'd gone, you know, I didn't, I just picked and should, I picked, I didn't let it overtake me. There'd been moments when I was a bit overtaken, but um, not really. I'm pretty grounded. That's good. I mean, some people it overtakes them, right? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, when people think of, you know, Jacqueline Bissett, you know, it really depends on the decade that you kind of came to age. For me, my first memories were class, which shows you kind of approximately how old I am. But do you have vivid memories of that, of working with like with Rob Lowe and Andrew McCarthy on class? Oh, well, I do. I do remember. But I, I was just talk, doing another interview and telling them about how how things can change in the shoot, because in that story, I was married to Chris Robertson, Cliff Robertson. Right, he was supposed to be kind of a bad guy and not a good husband, and I was running away basically from him. That was my my story point was that I was looking to find something, so that's why I was in that bar when I met Andrew McCarthy, and I got involved with him. But actually, the audience, from the audience point of view, it was partly because my husband was just not a not he was a beast, and and not nice to me, and I ended up in a psychiatric um, hospital at the end of the film. That was the first script, which is what I had gone off when I started the film. Now, then when they did the film, they decided to go for the comedy of it, which was obviously still there. It was there the same as before, but the ending was gone. And so it was so, so suddenly now I'm like a woman on the on the make, picking up a guy and I look like the bimbo of the world, you know, which worked and it was comedically it worked. It wasn't exactly what I wanted, but it was the way the producer you never know what's going to happen. Once they've got the film on you, they can do what they want with it, pretty much. So I was a lesson in, and I was upset with the ad campaign, but you know nothing serious. What upset you about the ad campaign? Oh, it was a picture of a woman with a half her bosom uh, out and sitting between the two men, in um, Andrew and Rob. Rob, and uh, and I'm there with a very cut, low cut dress and. With my knees crossed and looking very tarty and I thought what kind of a cheap ad is that you know little did I know that about 50 years 40 years later I don't know 30 years later I met the person who was the who posed as me in the picture and she said you know I've got to tell you something I said what she said I'm the girl in the picture between the two of you and on class I said you are the girl in the picture I can't believe it she said, yes, they'd asked me to come and do the job, but they didn't want to see my head. I said, what do you mean they didn't want to see your head? They said they just wanted my body and me in the middle. And she wondered why they didn't photograph her head, because actually they were going to put my head on her. <laughs> so there I am with my um, bosom sort of looking very busty. And it was her bosom and, and my head on her bosom and body. And there I was between the two guys and looking pretty tacky. <laughs> and it was, uh, you know, there you go. Once again, you never know how things end up. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.
Out of all the things I wasted money on last year, and there were a lot, uncanceled subscriptions was so high on my list. You know how like if you join something or you know you have that subscription, you don't read the fine print that says, if you don't cancel this, it's going to automatically renew. Well, at the end of the year, I, my accountant did an analysis and I was wasting thousands of dollars on subscriptions that were automatically renewing without my knowledge. That's when my accountant told me about Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and it helps you lower your bills all in one place. Now, I know everyone out there is nodding their head like, oh my God, because do you know that over 80% of people have subscriptions that they forget about? It's not just like you go on Netflix or Hulu and you know you watch like one show and then you don't use it for months and months. You guys wanted me to check out Denise Richards' OnlyFans so we can talk about it here. Well, guess what? Miss Richards was getting my money for way too long. So why don't you stop throwing your money away, cancel unwanted subscriptions, and manage your expenses the easy way by going to Rocket money.com slash velvet robe. That's rocketmoney.com slash velvet robe. Rocketmoney.com slash velvet robe. Can you guys believe that it's basically July? Like, where is this summer going? I've been so busy and I've been on the move and you guys know I don't cook, nor do I have time to cook. And that's why I turn to Factor. Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit that provides delicious ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your front door. It's that simple. I avoid the grocery store. I don't chop. I don't prepare. I don't clean up. All I have to do is heat and enjoy. These meals are ready in two minutes. I love that Factor has a menu that caters to all sorts of different lifestyles. Keto, calorie smart. They have protein plus, vegan and veggie. The calorie smart meals are the ones that I always choose. Also, now they've gone upscale so you can have surf and turf at home. Let me just give you an example of what I had last night for dinner. Roasted garlic filet mignon and shrimp. Do you know how long it would take if you were to prepare that and how much it would cost? Head to factormeals.com slash velvet50 and use code VELVET50 to get 50% off your first box. That's code VELVET50 at factormeals.com slash VELVET50 to get 50% off your first box. You never know how things are going to end up. No, you don't. Early on in your career, you know, you were nominated for a Golden Globe for Best Newcomer. You know, that was pretty early in your career. Like, does that, like, did that kind of change things and does that ever get old? I had no idea. I didn't know it had happened. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know what a newcomer was. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know about the Golden Globes. I just, it went right over my head. I didn't pay it any attention. It meant nothing to me at all, whatsoever. Later on, I look back and I said, oh, I was nominated. I was nominated. Oh, that was, must have been good. I guess I was okay in that first film. But didn't, right over, I didn't have a PR person. I didn't, I wasn't interested in any of it. It just wanted to work. Wow. So it just, it was, it came and it went and it never really it was a thing. Nobody even mentioned it. But to me, you know. Wow. But I didn't understand the whole structure of any of it in Hollywood. I didn't know about wards. Didn't know about, didn't know about acting either. I was just a green creature, a green young creature, enthusiastic to become an actor. But I, yeah, I didn't so know anybody in business either. So in a way, maybe opposite of your character and a little bit from Lauren and Rose, you know, they made the the mention that she never won an Academy Award and she wanted to, and that's still a thing. Like, where are you in that? Like, do you, I mean, you've been nominated for so many things. Like, do you want that Oscar? I mean, this role is getting such, you if know. You've done, if, you've done, if you've done really great work and, and it gets recognized, of course, it's meaningful. Yes, it is meaningful. But it's all about the work. But, but, all, but all these things are getting very peculiar. I mean, it's all becoming very much politically correct, all the rules now, it's all changing. And I don't know what I think about it. It is changing, right? I mean, and it's kind of overwhelming with it's all the new really, rules. It, it is. And then the new rules do not like, you can't cast people in the role that you want, the person you want, if they're not the right race. But you, it's got to, it's complicated. It's become, it's become unreal. And it, you know, obviously as an actor, you want the freedom to play anything you want to play. You don't want to be told. I don't really, quite i think it's going i think what's happening in many things is very are very good but i i think being fair about eth different ethnicities is certainly part of Amer the american image or the what the, the represents the, the population so that's all good but when to say to a filmmaker or somebody who creatively wants to make a story you cannot use that actor because they're not the right color um i find that absurd because in the theater obviously people seek to, to 
to play all the parts they can as various as they can you really feel like the best actor or actress is the one that should get the part I think the point you're trying to is a mixture of things. There's the economics of it. You've got to cast somebody who you can get your financing on. So generally, there's a degree of financing that comes with bigger stars who, who, are, who are known around the world. I mean, there's a logic to it. It's not just in a vacuum. It's in lo there's logical. We get each country says, "Well, put up X amount of dollars to get that be interested in that movie with those with that cast." We don't accept that person. I don't know who they are. And so on and so forth. It all builds to having enough economics for the producer to say, we're going to go ahead with this film, this cast, and very often forget any, anything to do with race or anything like that. Just the person, the director is saying, I want to use an unknown person. So no, you can't use an unknown person. But they're so perfect for it. No, you can't. We, we can't get the money to, get, to raise the film. So they end up, they give the, the producer the, the choice of certain uh, sized stars who have a reputation and they build the economics of making that film but it's you could say that it's unfair unfair to the to the newbie of whatever race they are because they're not they don't have the status to build the, you know, it's like the building block the building block to build the, the economics to make the film to be able to show it to an audience it's quite complicated and very often filmmakers say i wasn't able to make this film which I love, which is a, a film, a low budget film or a big budget film with the cast I wanted to. And so that's disappointing. Right. And somebody will have to start somewhere, you know, if, if, if you're not allowed to take people who haven't got much experience, you'd never, nobody would progress. That's a good point. Do you think it's easier to break into the industry today than, you know, yesteryear because of like social media or do you think it's harder because it's so idea. I have no idea. There are so many projects now, so many series, so many actors. So there's always been, since I've been in Hollywood, there have always been about 100,000, at least 100,000 actors, of which barely 5% work. You can make a living. Everybody else is doing, you know, two or three jobs to try and, and they're also quoting themselves as being actors. A lot of them have never acted before, but they just want to be, they want to be in the social uh, seen or they want to be they want to be stars whatever so I don't know how how real it all is I came having done a few jobs in England I was brought over under contract to 20th Century Fox I didn't have a lot of um, knowledge I didn't know much about acting I had a lot of enthusiasm and I was ready to be very professional I was very disciplined and I knew that you have to be serious and you about it, and it's not a joke. You're, you're people. It's very expensive to make films, and your day, a day of you messing around on a set would cost money, and and not you would not be professionally very viable. So you've got to behave. You know, to some degree, you've got to be serious. And every day that passes, hundreds of thousands of dollars to pay everybody and keep a crew going, and everything. so it's a it's a profession. Um, I think that. The world is changing a lot and I don't really know where it's all going to go. It's lots more work now because there's so many series. It's great for, for many actors who haven't been seen much. And I think there'll be some incredible um, newbies who'll come out of all these series and they'll be super talented. There are so many talented people here. There are. There are so many. I mean, I think that's a misconception of the industry, right? For people that are not in it, they think, you know, everyone's equal in Hollywood and you've been in one series and they don't realize it's right. Like the amount of people that are working, it's so small compared to the talented people that are trying yes. to work. Right. right. And you read about the, the five or 10 who make fortunes and everybody thinks that, well, those, that's the way the industry is. Well, it's not, it's not at all. There was a time when people were pretty well paid generally, but it's shrunk and shrunk and shrunk and shrunk. And a lot of actors, you know, we work for scale and um, and happy to do so, to get a uh, chance to get a shot. Absolutely. Do you have a favorite film of yours other than Lauren and Rose, of course, that you have done in your several yeah, decade long career? Well, I love Sleepy Time Gal, which is the other film that's going to show in, in New York for showing. And I love um, Rich and Famous, which I was involved with as a co-producer. And I, I love um, aspects of 
the, I love aspects of the deep because it was such an adventure. And there's things I didn't like about the results of it, but there were lots of films that I've enjoyed. I've learned so much about people and about process, and I've learned so much about the human being, the need people have, the human need, which comes together on a film, the need for a family, a group of people who are empathetic to you, or I don't know if the word is empathetic or sympathetic, but you can work in, in tranquility together, the closeness necessary to, to get the good work and, and, and the addiction that can form of those people next to each other, near each other. I mean, it's really quite understandable. You don't get to have these kind of very close relationships in most jobs. That's why there's a lot of love stories that happen. You know, it's, it's a mixture of um, fantasy and reality. A lot of films are written by people who they write wonderful characters. I mean, the director falls in love with his leading lady as he's acting giving her a role and watching her, falling in love with her. The actors are falling in love with each other to some degree because they have to, that's part of the role. And it, and it, there comes a point when people get muddled. They don't know if it's reality or if it's really happening. And these, all these love stories that come out from films, often of long, long locations away from home, turn out to be much less important when they get back to their lives. But, um, the actor, as an actor, you have to throw yourself into the reality of what you're doing. And you can be affected by being attracted by, to, by, to somebody, or you can be affected by disliking someone intensely if, you're, if you have to do that in the role and be slightly scared of them or be whatever it is you have to do. You can get caught up in your role and um, it can mislead you in your life. I, I, I can see that. Hmm. What about the opposite? Do you have a film or two of yours that you wish you didn't make? Well, there's some, a couple of that I don't really care for. And I didn't feel I was good because I wasn't allowed to do what I wanted. But it wasn't terrible. It was just not very pleasant. There's usually something in a film. There's a, always a few days in a film shoot something you're very frightened of doing and you have to face it and you have to do it. And that can be, oh, it can be difficult. And you just want to say, I want to go home. Can I go home? I'm not happy. <laughs> you feel like a child has been given a nasty task. You've been sent to put in the corner and you're going to have to come up with the goods. And it's just awful. Or when they come, you're in your trailer and suddenly you see the producer, the director, and maybe two or three people coming from the, where the bosses are. And they're walking towards your caravan. And you know, they're coming to try and persuade you to do something you don't want to do. And you, and you know, they're coming for that. And you just have to find your way through it. And you just, you know, either you say, I will not be doing this. No, I'm sorry. I will not strip off and do that scene. I've told you I won't before we did this film. Whatever it is that you fear that can come and hit you between the eyes, and you just have to deal with it. You have to really be firm and quiet and not get hysterical, but you feel like getting hysterical. You don't know how to stop them from pushing you. You're like, I just you don't want to do this. I just don't want to do this. And I told you this before we started, you know. So I've always put in my contracts. So the only days I put in, I won't do any. No, any nudity. I didn't want to do it. Things have got much more open now. It's very hard to avoid. I mean, so many films have explicit love scenes in them, sex scenes in them. Yeah. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At caskers.com, we make this experience easy. 
Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive, sought-after, rare, and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. Now get 20% off every IQ Bar product, plus free shipping when you text VELVET to 64000. You guys know I live a very active lifestyle. I'm constantly traveling back and forth from the Hamptons to New York City to LA, and I'm on planes and I'm on the run. And I need a good, healthy snack bar that I can take with me on the plane wherever I am, and it can fill me up and just get me through to the next meal. That's how I discovered IQ Bar. It's keto-free, paleo-free, vegan, gluten-free, and it's packed with protein and it's low sugar. But does any of that really matter if it tastes bad? Well, it tastes good. Great. It comes in seven different mouth-watering flavors. Peanut butter cup, that's my personal favorite, but banana nut, toasted chocolate chip, almond butter. But don't take my word for it. IQ Bar has over 10,000 five-star reviews. Now get 20% off IQ Bar products plus free shipping. To get your 20% off, just text VELVET to 64000. Get your discount. Text VELVET to 64000. That's VELVET to 64,000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. In making Lauren and Rose and some of your other recent films, like how has movie making changed? Like what have you noticed? I mean, it's obviously changed a lot since the early days, but like what are some changes you've noticed? It doesn't change that much when you're on set. Set is a set and you concentrate and you, you know, some, some projects have more money involved. So there's more food on set or there's more comfort or there's more chairs or something and you get looked after slightly better but when you come down to the basics it's very similar and i i like television because it goes fast i like that i don't want to sit around for 10 hours to do one minute of film but in films it's very often that you have to have a lot of energy and you've got to keep it together so that by the time you get around to doing your scene they're not exhausted and snoring on the in the caravan you know <laughs> to find a way to keep your energy up and um i used to be incredibly chatty with everybody i was just talking to the crew i was like the best friend of the crew i was loving everybody and adoring great fun and i'd get to the they'd say jacqueline you know it's time to do your close-up and i say i'm so tired <laughs> Just, and I learned gradually. I learned, somebody said to me, when you're not working, go to your trailer. And I said, do what? I'm by myself in my trailer. Just rest, conserve your energy. So I'm not good at that, I'm not good at conserving my energy. I'd like to be on the set. It was well on the set, you're wearing yourself out. You're giving too much, just, you've got to just hold on to some energy. And I, it took me a long time to kind of got that, to get that so that you're still tired at the end of the day because you're kind of lonely and bored in the trailer. You know what I mean? Unless you yes. So it doesn't, it's not easy to, but you, you know, in a lot of shows, you're minimum 12 hours a day and sometimes 14 or maybe more. Yeah, they're definitely long days. Long days. What was it like in here and now working with Sarah Jessica Parker? Lovely. That was a two-day job. She was adorable. And uh, she, I was rather surprised that she spoke French. We did our little Frenchy bit. I was a French mother. Do you have a specific process in preparing for roles? Like, let's just take Lauren and Rose. Like, did you do anything specific to prepare for this role? I mean, it's a heavy role. Well, I didn't do anything specific, but I just spent a lot of time thinking about the character. And um, I think about the situations that they're in. There's no escaping from the situation. That's your story. You can't get away from it. You've got to do that. And you find yourself resisting certain things and wanting to do other things. And you realize you have fears. And you've got to face the fears. You know? And if you can sort out what it is that you've got to do that you haven't maybe done before or something that you're worried about. And I kind of try and work through those and try and get them either contractually changed so that you don't have to do that scene, or, which is very um, showing a lot of you that doing something you don't really want to be doing. You, could, you know, you try and control the bits and pieces. And 
And at a certain point, you might be looking in the mirror, thinking about the role. And it's with me anyway, it's suddenly like, I suddenly say, ah, I get it. And it comes like up my legs and it comes into me. And I look and I say, hmm, I know who she is. And I don't know why it's from that, all that time, that thought, plus the dialogue you've got, you know, and I somehow find my way into it. Was there a particular moment with Rose where you just kind of got it? Well, it was a minute to minute thing. There were times when, or is no, you know, until you know, until I knew um, Kelly Blatt's role's focus and his essence on the set, I didn't know how I would be. But it went, started well, and it went well, basically all the way through. But it could be that it didn't. It could have happened that it didn't, but it, it, it did. So, you know, you work with the positive and you, and you try and eliminate the negative and your fears and be brave. You've got to be brave. Sometimes you have to be brave. Yeah. When I did the deep, I had to be brave because I was scared to death to be underwater. And I haven't put my head underwater since. They asked me yesterday, had I done any swimming since? I said, no, I have not put my head underwater since that film. And that was in 1960, no, 1976, I think it was. And that's, so that's 45 years. And I got through that film and I got, I got braver and braver and braver. And by the end, I was just really kind of macho. <laughs> And then and that was it. You have like PTSD about going underwater now. Well, I don't go underwater anymore. I didn't. I got through it. It was uh, four months of. We were three months underwater and two months on land. I think it was. It was a long shoot, and um, I was nervous basically all the way through. And I, but I, the people were professional divers and professional, and. They told me, they said, you were very plucky. You, I got into trouble underwater. I got into real trouble. I thought I was going to die. And um, I got through it. I did not die, but I got a real scare. And, um, you know, all these stunt things that you never know what could happen. You never know. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of going in the water or underwater personally, but that's just me. <laughs> I don't understand... I just don't understand swimming in an ocean. I mean, I, even if they say there's no sharks, it's just, you can't really, even if the water's clear, it's strange to me. It really is strange to me. That's just me. So I don't blame you. I mean, the deep looked like it, it was a scary shoot. I mean, there were underwater scenes. I'm like, this can't be fun. Well, seeing a fish holding onto your, I had the one scene when I'm underwater and I've got my little white gloves on, which you had to wear because you, things, lots of things, they stung. There was sort of, coral burns and god knows what and i'm feeding a little fish in my and it's got its tooth right through my glove and i'm shake, shaking my finger to get the thing off my glove and i didn't know what, what suddenly i felt someone nudge me from behind and i couldn't look who it was but it was a definite nudge by from a human and i came out i did finish the scene went up and they said wow i said what wow they said did you see that um what was the name of the fish came through and, and it took the took took the little fish on my hand off it, it took it and i wondered where the fish had gone but i hadn't seen that the fish came through so fast and took that fish that i was waving around and, and was gone and it was nick trying to warn me that there was a big large fish coming through and oh, I, I was oblivious i was in my scene and i was doing my stuff but i'm saying things can happen i can't remember the name of that big silver fish a shark it wasn't a shark, no. I can't remember the name of the fish. Anyway, just an example that, you know, things can happen. And I said, what, why are you nudging me in the middle of my sea? I was on camera. He wasn't on camera. So annoyed. I wanted to go spaz off. <laughs> You're like, leave me alone, Nick. I'm filming a scene, right? You're like, leave me alone, Nick. I'm filming a leave scene. Leave me alone. Why are you nudging me in the middle of my scene? I'm here with my little fish. And I'm doing, it was a blowfish. It's a very sweet little fish that had blown itself up. And it was fascinating. Wish I could remember the name of the fish that came through. A silver anyway. fish. Is there, I mean, you've worked with so many people. Like, is there an actor or actress that, you know, you've wanted to work with or you just would still love to work with that you haven't? I would like to work with lots of people. Lots of people. 
Uh, but it depends on the material. Who knows? One wants to be right for the part. And um, I'd like to work with De Niro. I'd like to work because I think he's a great actor. And but I don't know what I could ever be to him now because I mean, I'm, you know, they always put male actors with very very young women. So I'd probably because as his mother or something if I ever got to be in a film with him. Um, but um, saying that it was sort of. I'm being a little jokey, but it's actually true that you know they don't match up people in a in a, in a normal way. They, it's always what works for, for the film, the box office. They don't match up people. They do tend to put a lot of the older male actors, you know, or with yes. younger women, and that was part of your character in Lauren and Rose. You know, this actress that you know is trying to regain, you know, her moment so to speak like where do which is not your career because you've been working consistently but where do you think hollywood is you know it used to be you know the saying you know if you're over 30 in hollywood what do you do and then it was if you're over 40 what do you do where do you think we are today for women and parts and roles i don't know i think a lot of people have plastic surgery and they try and extend their life i'm not sure that's a good idea i don't personally Thing. I think you've got to get used to, you've got to get come to terms with yourself. You've got to accept yourself at some point in life. And um, okay, you, you can do what you can do for a certain amount of time. And you're no longer a leading lady or a character actress. I consider myself a character actress. I'm very happy to say that. And I don't have difficulty with it. I didn't get, or, you know, I got, I didn't get crazy. I just said, okay, well, I can play older parts and I'll find things that are interesting to me. Am I dying to play a granny? No, not particularly, but if it's in interesting granny, I really don't care. Um, I played an old lady in a French film quite recently, and I had so much fun. And I really enjoyed it. It doesn't bother me if it's something to do as a character. You don't want to be boring. One does not want to be boring, as in life, right? Yeah, and people that go through different phases of life. So in a way, why would you want to play the same phase you were playing 10 years ago, 20 years ago? That to me is boring. Yeah, it might, might be boring if you had, especially if it wasn't developed. Yeah. Was there ever a part that you almost got or you were in the mix for where we say, oh, that was so-and-so? Like I once spoke to an actress that said she was heavily in the mix for the Julia Roberts Pretty Woman part. And we say, oh, that was almost you. Was there ever a role like that for you where you almost got it and it became some huge part that we all know of? Well, I, there was, there's been a couple of films that, that I would like to have done that uh, I didn't get. And I, I was a bit disappointed, but then I thought, well, you know, it's a big wide world and there's lots of actors and and actually one of those roles was played brilliantly by glenn close and um and i thought wow she did much better than i wouldn't have been as good as that and you know and i'm pretty pretty you know i look at things really realistically and the other one i would have been much better than the person who was chosen um and it, it, the director just didn't do the same job as he should have and i thought god they've ruined it but I'm trying to be philosophical about it. There's room for a lot of people to be doing well. What was the Glenn Close part that you really wanted? That she played. I can't remember. It was with um, Michael Douglas. Douglas. What the hell was it called? She was wonderful. She played the woman. She started having an affair with him. Fatal attraction. Attraction. Yeah, he married, he's married to Anne Archer, and then, yes, that's what it was, Fatal Attraction. And I read that fairly early on, and I thought, I thought it was going to be a really exciting film. You would have been great in that. Glenn was great in it, but now I'm picturing you in it, and that I would have... I don't think I would have been as good as her. I think she was better than I would have been. Truthfully, I really do. I wouldn't say that. I'm not being, not fishing for compliments. I just really feel... So, you know, but another role, I just didn't think they got it. So... You have to learn not to, you make your own little stories up if you have to, to defend yourself. But there's, there's so much talent. There's, uh, there used to be many less projects. Now there's masses of projects. Yeah. One of my personal guilty pleasures of yours in your career is not a movie. It was your season four, seven episode arc and Ryan Murphy's Nip Talk as James LeBlanc. How was it working on Nip Talk? It was brilliant. Thank you. I enjoyed it too. 
you were on the black market, you were getting kidneys, selling them off. It was. When it was, he first told me about the role, I, I was like, I beg your pardon. I didn't know about that awful business. I thought it was like he was joking. I mean, no, and then in the first episode, I smashed my some person in the face. I mean, then I mean it went from each time there was a new episode and I was in it. It was like, who am I? It was almost like, what sex am I? Who whose side am I on? It wasn't clear to me. And um, everybody on the set was. They, that was the situation they'd been living with for years. And they say, you don't, you just, you don't question it. You just do it. I said, really? But don't you feel sometimes you're being, no, we just, you just do it. The two boys, I'd asked the, one of the, 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 the younger of the two, because he had to do something. He said, oh, gosh, gosh, it's quite difficult to just leap. And you just leap, you have to leap. But um, I enjoyed playing that bad character, but she had, you know, till I knew she, till I was the person, I, till I found out that I was actually not as bad as I could have been, and I had big bosses who were bossing me around and making me do these awful things, I felt a bit peculiar about it. But when I found out that I was being bossed around and tortured, potentially tortured, I made it easier. <laughs> it's just, and then when I was at the Beverly Hills gas station, the scene was that having gas poured over was going to have gas poured over me. Oh, I mean, just the thought of it, it was just horrible. And then there were these oriental men who had been behind me, bossing me around, beyond bossing me. I, th I feel quite out of breath just thinking about that scene. And so it, it goes, you know. It was an intense show, right? It was intense, yes. And that was really before Ryan Murphy became Ryan Murphy. But I mean, it was a brilliant show. So never yeah, it was such a guilty pleasure for so many people. Do you have like guilty pleasures? Like, do you do TV binging? Are you a TV person? Do you get into different? Uh, occasionally I do occasionally. I love having the odd binge. Yes. I, mean, I don't know what to watch. That's my problem. Because I don't watch a, a lot to know. I don't mix enough with people who know that I'm always thinking, asking people. I tend to be attracted to some of the more the ones where I learn something. I mean, I I really enjoyed. Um, oh, there's some amazing, some amazing pieces. I'm not going to bore you with my thought choices, but um, I've learned a lot about different societies. From I mean, I've um, things I knew nothing about. I I saw one about the Syrian. What's it called? Um, there's a Turkish series I saw, a Syrian, um, a Orthodox Jewish series, two Orthodox Jewish series, fascinating. Um, one about the, oh my God, I'm blanking. Yeah, I can't even think of what those would be either. Cool, I can't even think what they're called. But those, I'm sort of attend, Fowder is also a very interesting series. Fowder, which is about Israel and Palestine. I like politics, so I like to know what's going on. I know those, they're films, they're so well done. So well done. Are you ever shocked at certain aspects of the business, like, you know, reality TV, that's such a big thing. Like, are you ever shocked at some of these new aspects of the business? I mean, they've been around for a while, but still. I used to be on the, go use the treadmill a lot. And I used to listen to some of them on the treadmill and they spoke loudly. Which I found I couldn't listen to certain programming because they people spoke softer. But when I remember some of the um, stuff on Bravo, there used to be groups of women, they all talk very loud. And I could hear them with the, with the same time as using the treadmill. So I would say, oh, I'm going to listen to that person because I can't hear this one. And there was anything intimate and secretive. You know, I can't hear what they're saying. So I had to stop them with the treadmill, listen for a minute, and then try and guess. So that doesn't work. So for a while, I was watching Bravo, but not anymore at the moment. Well, that would be the real housewives, and they're always fighting and the arguing. Oh, the housewives are just, and I sort of absolutely enthralled by it all. Just, I said, I'll never meet these women, and I'm enthralled. And I know they're fake fighting, but I loved it. I enjoyed them thoroughly. It's really a mind. It just sucks you in, and you're hours later, you're like, I could watch this for days. Yeah. Well, I don't know about days, but for me, I have certainly enjoyed bits and pieces of that. Is there a part of the business that you haven't done that you still want to try? 
oh, I'm sure there's, there's masses of things I haven't done. But I'm pretty focused on what I want to do. And I don't know till I read it. I just did a, a role in a, cowboy, in a Western, um, which was quite fun. It wasn't a big part, but it was juicy. It was the madam of the, of the local um, bordello. It was quite fun. That's fine. Yeah. I ask you this only because I am single. I have no children. I'm happy like that. You do a lot of interviews. It does come up. You always get asked, you know, and people don't believe me. Maybe they don't believe you. You know, why is it such a, well, how could you be single? Why don't you want children? You do get asked that in a lot of interviews. I say, listen, I'm very happy. Don't worry about it. My life is great. Why do you think that's still a thing and people just can't believe people like us, Jacqueline? Um, I, I don't know. I think it's a very relevant thing to life is wanting to, to have a family. Um, I didn't know what feel like. I don't feel like I knew what family was. I was uh, had a, I mean, there was my child. I didn't have a terrible childhood or anything, but I didn't feel that there was a closeness or it didn't represent anything to me. I've always felt my mother was having a very hard time. My father was a great person. My mother was a great person, but they didn't, I didn't see the connection. I didn't see them affectionate at all. And I couldn't see what was in it for my mother to be married. I knew she was mother, mommy to mommy, to my brother and I, and I, when we were with friends, that was fun. I thought friends are really good things. Friends is what I want, good friends. And that was my focus, and um, and I thought they'd be there longer than than um, than parents and stuff and uh, family. But I've actually turned my mind around a bit because recently I've lost a lot of my good friends have gone, and it's a shocker, no question. And you wonder what will happen next, who's going to be gone next. So that's sad. That's very sad, and. I don't really know what the defense to that. There's nothing to defend. There's nothing you can do about that. You, you, you know, you can't invent people to be good friends with. You have to have the connection. Yeah. What, looking back at your career, what advice would you give yourself just starting out? You know, this new, you know, young, like you said, there's young talent coming in every day. Like what advice would you give someone just starting out or yourself? If you look back and at your beginning of your career. I wouldn't change much. I would say to thine own self be true, which is what I've done. I don't have things that I'm um, angry with in terms of what I've done. I've led my life the way I want to live it. I haven't, I haven't done things that have disgusted me. I haven't been around people who have disgusted me. I've tried to avoid them. Um, I didn't do enough exercise. I didn't know enough about exercise and how, how wonderful it is to, when you get feel fit and to just deal with the realities of working long hours and needing that fitness to support you as a basic. Um, I think I would have enjoyed my body more because I didn't know that, you know, that it goes away and changes. And you just, just that is something I see young people and I'm, I, I think it's, important to enjoy your own body and um, I was very shy I was very shy very complex and I was always sort of hiding you know hiding myself being I was very modest and uh, about most of the time very rarely did I ever sort of show off I didn't it wasn't my it wasn't my education it wasn't my way and I was um, I resisted and that, that was always offered to me, like, so, you know, do this, do that. I said, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be. Um, I don't want to be so desirable for people. I don't feel that way about it. I don't want to be. I want to be desirable to the man I'm with and, um, and to be embraced in a sense that doesn't threaten people. I didn't want to be threatening because I think, you know, it's a fine line. It's a bit like education. You want to be educated so you can mix generally. One of the best things about education is that it teaches you how to mix with everybody. And it's pointless if you get 
if you get overeducated and you start to separate yourself as a person, as a as an entity, as an intelligent person, it separates you from people rather than bringing it, bringing you together. You need to do things in life that make it easier for your life. The point of a good education is to teach you how to get on with everybody, to not be judgmental and stupid and narrow-minded. That's what an education is for. That's why you need to read and you need to educate yourself so that you learn about the generosity of the spirit. And, and I'm, I've always been slightly allergic to people who show off, which is ironic because you might say that actors show off, but I don't feel that we do. I mean, I don't feel that I do. I do the job as a job and it's not something I really, I'm, I'm actually quite restrained in terms of I mean, if I've had maybe a few drinks, maybe I'm a little more, <laughs> a little more um, nuts than I would normally be. But that's just sort of generally, I'm, I'm slightly embarrassed by massive showing off. And people I'm, assume that. Hmm. I was going to say, I'm allergic to people that show off as well. I, yeah. I, I, I feel it's usually a sign of insecurity and. Most good actors are not show-offs and they're not the life and soul of the party. But on the contrary, they're usually rather shy and private. And that's what I've noticed generally. Most actors are a bit shy. And it's all very difficult to see on first glance because you see them being very exuberant. So many comedians are terribly serious in real life. You know, it's, it's, it's like you don't, if you, I suppose if you, you don't have things to say it's kind of logical that you have to be different to be able to get things out because they've got to come out these things you have this power you have it's got to come out somewhere you don't really have an explanation of it but it's often not what you think it's like when people are very shy and often they're just terribly fearful so are people get... i was going to say are people shocked when they find out that you're shy because you know you class, even this part in Lauren and Rose, Wild Orchid, like you've, you've done a lot. And I understand it's acting, but you've, it's the opposite of a lot of the parts you've played. It's the opposite. Well, I mean, I do the, I follow the script and I try and do what the, that's what I'm hired to do is to be an actor, to do what's in the thing. I don't, uh, I have many aspects as a person. So, I mean, there's a lot of, I have a lot of, of life in me and a lot of, I've been through quite a lot of stuff. I've got a lot of experience with things like, so there's lots of things to draw on. It, I just choose not to put all of it in the in a place where I don't particularly. I don't know. I feel protective of. I sometimes feel protective of femininity as a as an essence, and um, and if femininity can, uh, you know, obviously it's full of many many kinds of things. But I have a feeling about it in the terms of protecting it as it's an, as an essence in myself and. Um, there have been times when I felt I was in such conflict in a particular, one particular film I did, I was in such conflict with a certain people that I felt so unhappy and so um, wronged and so beaten up that I said, my God, I feel like I'm losing my femininity. I feel like my soul is being stolen and I'm being forced into being very, um, tough and oh, I, don't, I will not let them do this to me. And I wanted to back off from that scene. And it was just after I did Rich and Famous and I, um, I just thought I've got to protect myself. This is not who I am. I'm not going to be led by their anger and their jealousy to, to, to become somebody I'm not. And it was a big wake up call and I didn't, if you told me that could happen to me, I, it's very hard for me to imagine that that could happen, that feeling of, um, well, we all have our inner selves and we have our auras that we live with and that we presumably like to be, or that's what we project. I don't know what we project. But anyway, that's how I felt. So, um, it's very wild, it's very wild and, mad and I, America's a bit off course at the moment I think yes I would agree with that as we wind down are, are there you know any of the new crop of actresses that you that kind of stand out to you you know like is there anyone in particular that kind of stands out as one of your favorites or just really talented 
oh, so many talented girls. I don't know all their names, but I see photos of them and I think I see many, many young people who I think are lovely to look at and, and seem and seem smart. There was a time when people would make fun of American women. They would say, yeah, they're very beautiful and everything, but they're so stupid. And I said, well, they may not be very educated compared to some nationalities, but they were not stupid. And I remember hearing people say, no, you can't talk to them. It's all, you know, it's all this, that, and the other. I said, really, is it really that bad? I said, yes, they do. And they're all only interested in money and success. And, you know, lots of men have told me that the women in Los Angeles are impossible. They're just interested in money and wanting to, you know, tag along. I said, they can't all be like this. It just can't. They said, yes, they are. They're like that. And that was a few, that's a while ago. And then recently, I find myself saying, there's so many talented young people. They seem to be, not only are they good looking, healthy, and they're very pretty and very attractive, and they seem very hip. And there's a whole world of sort of hipness, nice hipness, not stupid hipness, that's around. And I go, it's kind of nice. It's kind of nice. It's, something has changed that the women are, are not only talking about makeup and stuff and, you know, and just, just sort of very empty subjects. There's a lot of people who, who could develop into very interesting people, I feel. I agree with I that. You do? Good. I, I do. I feel like there's like a change happening. I do. I split my time between New York and LA, so I kind of see it between yeah. both. And I, I agree that something's changing in Los Angeles, I think. I do. As we wrap up, everyone needs to go see Lauren and Rose. It was great. Congratulations on another great part. I just want to say before we go that I saw an interview of yours where you, the interviewer mentioned icon and legend, and you said you don't like those words, but I'm sorry, Jacqueline. I'm just going to say you are a legend and an icon and one of the best in the business. And I'm sorry if you don't like that, but I'm just going to say it anyway. Thank you very much. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. We are ready to have a good old rabbit, didn't we? We had a good old chat. Thank you for covering it all. I mean, focusing on Lauren and Rose because it is brilliant. But thank you for talking about your brilliant career. And I really appreciate everything. Thank you. Thank you. Keep, keep in touch. Bye. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review. Because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones. And the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're Behind The Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. Or head on over to Patreon, because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind the Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you, guys. See you soon. Mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Ah, mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. 
Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. <laughs> 